Hey guys, Spro here. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Second Chance Cinema. To put our little show on the map, please download each episode, whatever silly reason. The lists on Apple and whatnot, they only pay attention to what is downloaded and not necessarily streamed. So if you want to help our little show out, the simplest thing that you can do is download the episodes instead of just streaming. We will curse in this episode, but we are discussing Son-in-Law today. We will ruin the ending, so if you don't know what happens today, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Dear God Almighty, please turn this off right now. That's about it. We hope you have a great day. Enjoy the show. Anybody home? Hello! Hey! <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. I, I need a, a, a screwdriver. I'm sorry. I'm all out of vodka. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to borrow a real screwdriver oh, to, to open my... Oh, oh, my uh, daughter's uh, trunk. Oh, you have a daughter. (laughs) Is she hot? What? Don't worry. I'll keep a special eye on her for you. My name's Carl. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the resident advisor. Oh, shit. What? Hey, wait, come back. (laughs) Don't leave me hanging. In 1967, one of the most respected actors of the past hundred years, Sidney Poitier, starred in the groundbreaking, socially divisive, thought-provoking masterpiece, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. The story was one of forbidden love, an interracial couple, him, John, a mid-thirties widowed black doctor, and her, Joanna, a happy-go-lucky 23-year-old white woman. Both met on vacation in Hawaii and were soon engaged to be married. Much to the initial chagrin of Joanna's parents, who had never anticipated Anticipated the possibility of their daughter marrying a black man. She brings him to dinner where the couples meet, interact, and eventually learn that love, above all, conquers race, prejudice, and bigotry in glorious and surprising ways. In 1968, one year after that film's release, the world was blessed with another cinematic treasure, Pauly Shore. Much like Poitier, Shore would go on to star in widely revered classics, such as Encino Man, a goofy movie, and in 1993, would headline the shot-for-shot remake of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Son-in-Law, which also masterfully and poignantly dealt with stereotypes, misconceptions, and passing judgment on those different from ourselves. The two films have more in common than you realize. Both movies netted an even number of Academy Awards. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with two and Son-in-Law with zero. 50% of these two movies were selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, recognized as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. While the other 50% of these movies sponsored a culture-shifting call-in sweepstakes called Win a Chance to Marry Pauly Shore. And finally, in 1998, while Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was honored by the American Film Institute's 100 Years of Movies as one of the best movies of all time, the Son-in-Law Letterbox Edition was made available to the masses on Laserdisc. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Second Chance Cinema. As always, I'm one of your hosts, MC. With me, a man who's had a piece of my heart from the start, Spro. What is up, Spro? Wow! (laughs) 
talking about heart? Mine's like in my, well, I was going to say in my chest. It's totally in my chest, but it might be up in my throat. That was a hell of an intro. And with us as a special guest, our compadre from another madre, Rudy. Que pasa, Rudy? I, I got a little tear in my eye. That was beautiful. <laughs> I wrote that a few minutes ago. It's brilliant. Thought, you know what? We're going to talk about the similarities between this movie and guess who's coming to dinner. I did a little research and was able to cobble together probably the best bullshit I've written since college <laughs> papers. So here we are. Second Chance Cinema with a movie that I could probably, if pressed, with a gun to my head or some sort of threatening situation that forced me to really just dig deep into the catacombs of my mind could probably recite word for word from beginning to end. I was thinking about it and I, to be honest, I know I've seen this movie a million times, but I don't know when or where the first time I saw it was. And usually with these movies that we talk about, I I feel like I can often pinpoint that at least to some degree. But this one, just complete mystery to me. What about you guys? It came out on my 11th birthday, July 2nd, 1993. I don't think I saw it on my 11th birthday, but I do remember owning the VHS. And I think one of my sisters was a huge Polly Shore fan. If I was going to guess, it would be the oldest one because she was watching MTV a lot back in that day. Full disclosure, this was Rudy's pick. So Rudy, tell us a little bit more about why we're talking about this classic. The summer of 1993. I saw this movie in the theater so I attended a a day camp where they would take the kids from the the ghetto the hood and they would put them on a bus and and ship them like 20 to 30 minutes north of Columbus (laughs) onto like 167 acres of just woods and you'd be out there all day and then they'd bring you back to the city to be like well haha and but one of the staff members of that (laughs) camp was like, let's go see a movie. And I went to go see this movie. And it was, imagine this movie being quoted every single day from July 3rd, I mean, July 4th till the end of the summer by Urban Kids. It was the most surreal experience of my life. Okay, so so I'm sorry. Let's, let's, let's just pump the brakes there for a second. So back up to the premise of this camp. They would drive you to a field and no, they, leave you well, there? Yeah, they would drive you out to the woods. Like literally, you go from like the city and the buildings, and the next thing you know, you're just surrounded by trees, and there's this huge lodge oh. and a pool. Okay, you were describing the camp. I thought you ha- you were inferring that while at the camp, which I assumed to be in the woods, like one of the activities was that they would drive you out and leave you in the woods and like, I don't know, make you fend for yourselves on the way back. Well, there was something. a survival element to it, being a kid from the okay. city. It blew my mind even further that you trusted one of these counselors enough to take you to the movies. Were you on a date with a counselor? Oh, no, 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 no. It was more of like a mentor-mentee type situation. That's exactly where I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to say, I saw this movie with a girl, but instead you said, I saw this movie with a counselor who once left me for dead in the middle of a field while I was at summer camp after I got dragged out of the urban ghetto, and and then we quoted it all summer long. I know. It, it, it was a cur- it was a curveball of the best kind that you just threw. You're welcome. So before we dive into the movie, let's bring up... The Wheel of Poetry, which um, oh, shit. Rudy, it's been a little while since you've been on here. And I, I, I remember that, you know, every time we introduce the Wheel of Poetry, you're like, oh, shit. Like you forget that the Wheel of Poetry is a thing. Is that pretty accurate? Uh, yeah, I completely forgot. Damn it. The way the Wheel of Poetry works 
is that we have five different types of poetry. Haiku, ABAB rhyme scheme, song parody, limerick, and toast slash roast of the movie that we put onto a big Wheel of Fortune wheel. We spin it. And then whatever it lands on while the trailer for this movie's playing, each of us has to write a poem in that style. So I'm going to spin the wheel here. I'm going to see what we land on. Here we go. Limerick. Oh my god. So for those listeners who might not be familiar with Limerick, the the classic one always begins there once was a man from Nantucket and then you go through the rhyme scheme and it always ends with something that rhymes it's usually inappropriate that rhymes with Nantucket. Rudy, do you do you remember what the rhyme scheme is? Sure. <laughs> so it's like there once was a guy named Rudy. He went out and got all sorts of booty. He went to a camp. His pants got all damp. He came back and we all think he's fruity. Like that kind. <laughs> you that. just did that off the that top a, of your fr- head? <laughs> that was a freestyle. I learned that was, yeah, from the shelter. Mackay Pfeiffer introduced me and I was Jeez, like, and I just took down Papa Doc. <laughs> I just took down Papa Doc and the whole free world. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's the trailer. It was a peaceful farming community. A place where everything had stayed the same for generations. They've always known that someday change would come, but no one expected it to come home with the girl next door. Middle America. Who the hell is that? He's like nothing they've ever seen. Ah! Nothing they've ever heard. I don't want to be rude or anything, but Miss Warner, you're giving me a semi. You distract him, I'm going to hit him over the head with a shovel. So basically, we're not going to be hanging out? No. (laughs) But after spending a little time together... So you're just an old hacker disguised as an idiot. Why don't you, um... Put a little makeup on The great American family... You don't like it, do you? Uh, no, I think I do. ...will never be the same again. Let's chow down here and munch some grinding! And he'll turn one small town into one huge party. Check out the wood that I created for him. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful day. <laughs> and let it fly. Oh, yeah, 747. The son-in-law. What do you think their kids are going to look like? Yeah, so that was kind of a bummer trailer, especially after, I guess there's no fan-made trailer for son-in-law like there was for the Karate Kid that we stumbled upon. So nobody has yet to recut the son-in-law trailer, which, you know, I'm not suggesting anyone do that, but also I totally am. All right, so we've got limericks, gentlemen. Now, Rudy, uh, I recall, I believe it was the Wizard episode that your attempt, I think at a haiku, was just off the rails terrible. (laughs) The limerick is like 575, right? That's what it is? No. Ah, shit. Good grief. <laughs> just just read what you wrote, Rudy. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> there once was a whittler named Gramps. Crawl wondered, Bartles or James perchance? On a fishing trip, he needed drugs. Kelly Kapowski showed us her nugs, and Flea was tattooing tramp stamps. Nice. Oh. That was really good. I did it. And you brought you. I, I take issue with Kelly Kapowski showing her nugs because I know I wanted that to happen, but it didn't. <laughs> but the flea, I forgot about the flea cameo. You pick it, I stick it. 
Ow! Oh! Does it hurt? It's better than a kick in the face with a golf shoe. So, Crawl, what do you think? It's permanent. Crawl, I'm mingling. It's up to you. Ow! Okay. So, what I want is something feminine. He's standing right next to me. You see that, huh? You see what happens? The ink soaks in the system and the guy's freaked out. Look at him. What are you, you freak? That's a good point. So? You pick it, I stick it. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right, Spro, you want to go next? There once was a girl from the farm who lived safely away from harm. She went out on her own, ogled a buff dude with cones, and brought home cause for alarm. Ooh. See, that's great. And I'm glad that I, I, my my first one was going to be farm. Like, my first rhyme was going to be farm, too. But then I was like, nah, I got I to gotta try something else. Okay. There once was a girl from the country. She met a co-ed and turned kind of spunky. She went home to her folks, where he told lots of jokes and made formerly dull farmers funky. That's good. <laughs> you guys had the move, the actual, like, references. Mine was more of, like, there was a plot summary that could only be written in limerick form on IMDb or Wikipedia. I would submit that. But <laughs> so son-in-law, back to the intro. Let's basically dissect the fact that this is a 90s remake of essentially the concept of guess who's coming to dinner. No? True. Yes. Did you guys think of that before we got on tonight? Or was that something that that like my intro just sort of sparked? Oh, I, well, I always researched the critics and like the critics were they brought that up. And so that's where okay. like I don't really think about if anything is like a direct ripoff, then I can pretty much figure it out. But usually when I'm watching a new movie, I just sit back and enjoy what's coming to me. What about you, Rudy? Uh, you know, back when I watched the 2005 hit Guess Who with Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher, I remember being like, oh, this Jesus reminds Christ. me of Son-in-Law. So I knew back in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think Guess Who was a remake of Son-in-Law? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know why. Like, I don't consider myself a film snob or a film scholar. In fact, I kind of dislike the word film in favor of movies. When Rudy, when you picked Son-in-Law, the first thing that popped into my head, and I don't know if it's just because it was in the cobwebs for so long, and when I pulled it out, I was like, this movie's exactly like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And I thought I had this, like, monumental epiphany. And like you said, Spro, I read some reviews, and there were a couple that made that comparison as well. But then I started thinking more and more about it. And I was like, holy shit, they tried to do Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Pauly Shore. Like, that's <laughs> what this was. That that just primed me for this discussion even more. So, Rudy, you told us your creepy story about how you saw uh, Son-in-Law with like your, while well, you were an underage boy, like with your camp counselor or whatever you were saying, <laughs> and then quoted it endlessly. I think that, that that's one of the hallmarks of this movie. And one of the reasons that I love it so much is that not only are there good quotes, but even the throwaway lines are quotable. Yeah. What are you what are you laughing at? Are you laughing at my uh, description of your childhood? Well, yeah, naturally, but also <laughs> what it had me doing the weasel fingers and making that nasty nasty ass sound he made with his lips like mm -hmm. like that that stuff the throwaway lines and like just the the one-liners like nugs and mm. grindage like I remember uh, grindage, I remember cones from this movie. Spro, what about you? You said you did you say you watched this like 
like last night or pretty recently? Yeah, I watched this yesterday. What was it like watching this movie in 2020? I literally laughed out loud. And I showed you guys, I showed you a picture where I had gotten the DVD in the mail. And the DVD is horrible quality. Like the first 15 minutes of the film was just fuzzy and blurry. And I don't know if I got (laughs) used to it or if it just cleared up. So I am taking classes at UCLA right now. And it's like class number one. And it's all about like the first 10 minutes of the film. And I must say, based off of what UCLA is teaching me in the first 10 minutes of Son-in-Law, this movie is fantastic. (laughs) Tell us about it. Okay, so the first time you see Travis, you know he's a douchebag. Why? Because he jerks off his diploma. Like, all you need is that little (laughs) snippet of character from this guy. And you're like, oh yeah, this guy, that guy's a douchebag. They go down the line and they give you a little snippet of each character. You know what her family's like before getting into it. But also the detail, the attention to detail, where if you see it again, which obviously we all did, when you go into Crawl's room, you realize like he's got CIA conspiracy theory bumper stickers. Like he's not just walking around like the Chiquita banana lady. He is actually... you know smart it's what's what's the little brother's line in the bedroom he says something like you're a computer hacker just disguised as an idiot idiot." so you're just an old hacker like me but disguised as an idiot (laughs) yeah basically but you're right so like i didn't even think of that so like would this be a movie that like you could make a case for in that class like would you write a paper about this opening 10 minutes look the performances are fantastic (laughs) I'm just throwing it out there, like Polly Shore for being Polly Shore. Like the the reason why this movie got bad reviews is it's like you said, it's guess who's coming to dinner with Polly Shore, and already like this is movie number two, and people are are sick of Polly Shore's shtick, or like the movie critics are. But Polly Shore is fantastic in this movie. His performance is he's locked in. He's not just mailing this in. He's com- he's creating a completely different character. I laughed out loud and then couldn't stop laughing even as I like walked out of the room to get more popcorn when he gets punched in the nose and then why'd you do that that? (laughs) why didn't you just tell me the truth because there wasn't time oh your timing was perfect tonight Rebecca Rebecca are you okay yes we're fine no we are not fine listen I understand if you're pissed if you want to talk about it it's Ah, ah, ah. Uh, oh That is, I will say this, that I'm a happily married man now. When I lived in New York, I dated a girl in Brooklyn, and that was the inside joke that we probably shared the most. It would be like either texting screen grabs of that or just saying, why did you do that? Like, <laughs> like the script just said, why did you do that? But like that delivery and, and just like the way he was able to just like just like twist, twist the scene that way, just so quotable and so silly and so just stupid was like, I love this movie. This is Pauly Shore. I mean, let's not, I always say on the show that 
when he's not playing a like a dramatic character, Will Smith is always just kind of Will Smith in a movie. Like in Independence Day, he was Will Smith. He was the Fresh Prince fighting aliens. In Men in Black, he was the Fresh Prince fighting aliens in a suit. And and it's just kind of like it's Will Smith. You know, it's Will. You go to see the movie because it's Will Smith. Same thing, kind of sometimes like with The Rock. You know, he's like he's the Rock in the jungle. He's the Rock in a skyscraper. It's like Paulie Shore was the same in the '90s. Like it's not like I don't think anyone had any reservations about that. What they were signing up for when they cast Polly Shore as basically Polly Shore. It tracks, right? He created the Polly <laughs> the Polly Shore cinematic universe with like he plays Polly Shore. The PCU, yeah, the PSCU. The PSCU. He's Polly Shore yeah. and Encino Man. And he's and they do a cameo in this one that yes! connects them. Yes. And then you could connect this movie to in the army now. And how? Well, he's into electronics, yeah. right? He loves he loves he's a hacker, right? And so in the beginning okay. of In the Army now, he's working at an electronics store and he opens an electronics store at the end of the movie. Okay. What about, I'll, I will be so impressed if you can do and Biodome. I don't know. Even Brandon Fraser makes a cameo in In the Army now where he eats like a frog or something at the mess hall. No, that was in, uh, <laughs> No, wasn't that in Son-in-Law? No, yeah, Son-in-Law and in In the Army now. Go back, friends. <laughs> All 12 of you listeners out there, go back and watch In the Army now, and you'll be like, holy shit, Rudy did it again. Wow. So <laughs> Brendan Fraser is kind of like the Thanos of the PSCU. And I guess Polly Shore is the Tony Stark, right? Exactly. I mean, if, if we're really building this out. If we're connecting wow. dots, boom. Wow. The concept of a, the PSCU, the Polly Shore Cinematic Universe, like, what could that have become? Think about it. I mean, when was the last movie that he was in that was like a mainstream release? Uh, Polly Shore is dead i don't even think that counts i'm talking about like teen comedy like basically the point is is that like he when it comes to like branding yourself brand marketing all that you know bullshit like he was for lack of a better word in the early 90s he was an icon mm -hmm. to everybody who watched mtv who then went and saw the movies who then went and saw the other movies and he did it well it's one of those things it's kind of like the michael bay thing you know like he did what he did incredibly well mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely agree well here's i was gonna get into this at the very end of the show but like i told you guys just recently opened up a people magazine and stumbled upon an article about Polly Shore and what it was about was after Biodome when it was obvious that everybody was over the weasel shtick that he sunk into despair and depression and was hanging up his gloves. What also happened was his mother got sick with cancer. And so he spent most of his time taking care of her, living with her. She passed away in 2018 and his father passed away shortly after that. And he has decided to, I think there was one more death in the family, maybe a sister and anything, but he has gone through a whole hell of a lot. And the whole article was about he's about to start acting again. He's about to come back. And he says that he has made peace with the demons of the past and with having everything pretty much taken away from him because Hollywood was over him. But I'm excited. I want Pauly Shore to come back. He's like 52, 53 years old. He's got a lot left in him and we'll see what he can do. Is he married or kids or anything? No, nothing that I saw. See, that's really interesting. I remember again, when I was living in New York, we, I don't know if we got on a Pauly Shore kick because like HBO was showing his movies all the time, but we did a little digging and we found his website and we 
like requested an autograph, I remember. And we got a response that was like, yeah, if you send us, you know, a certified money order or whatever, we'll send you an autograph. And then for the two years, like we sent it, of course. And for the two years that I lived in New York, we went back and forth trying to get that autograph and we never got it. But it sounds like he was going through some hard times. So all is forgiven. So Spro, you mentioned the opening scenes were just completely beyond serviceable in terms of setting up the characters and sort of the conflict. I'm sorry. The direction is so tight when it comes into like the moving into college scene. There is so much going Mm -hmm. on and so Mm -hmm. much different characters and the dialogue. It's almost like the beginning of Home Alone, you know, where they take all the characters in the movie and they go bam, bam, bam with all their like one liners and everything. And another seat or another part that made me laugh out loud was when they're, they're walking down the hallway and the dude gets his towel taken from him and the dad is just like, God damn! <laughs> I mean, that was what it was like when we moved into college when we were roommates, right? So Rebecca, Carla Gugino, who I'd love to talk about more, moves into college in, in California. So the basic gist is that she's from small town like Iowa or something, farmer, very conservative upbringing, all that. Of course, she goes to LA where everybody's weird. It's kind of like, I think it was Die Hard 1 where he goes into the Christmas party and the guy comes up and hugs him and he's like, Merry Christmas, man. Hey, Merry Christmas. Jesus. Fucking California. And then he just goes, fucking California. Like it was that vibe of like Californians are weird and she gets thrown into it just complete baptism under fire and at first she this was actually a really like tender part of the movie like she gets homesick to start she can't like make a phone call without being interrupted she some fat guy sits on the horse that her grandpa whittled her and breaks it dude and then finally she's just like screw this i want to go home and that's where paulie shore comes in crawl and he's not a white knight in the romantic sense but he's a white knight like kind of in like the self-discovery sense right yes absolutely he comes to save her from her glass menagerie moment literally when that happened i went that's the glass menagerie the unicorn Uh horn got broke off and now it's just plain old horse gramps's horse got broken half and she's done and then the therapist Polly shore the white knight comes to save her that line that he hit her with like it was so funny because i went when he said it i went damn it was you're not even here you're still back there and i went damn that's deep Holy shit. So we're comparing this movie to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and The Glass Menagerie. Yeah. This is son-in-law we're talking about. God, did you think that we would be that did you I knew we were doing this podcast today, but did you think this conversation would happen? <laughs> did your chaos theory predict this shit? Like <laughs> the butterfly must have flapped the fuck out of its wings in Peking for all this to be going on right now. The majority um, the majority of my first notes about Polly Shore were how creepy and predatory he is in the beginning i didn't even get to talk about that go ahead i mean because you're not wrong like i mean he doesn't he doesn't endear himself right away but that's almost like that's like the disarming part like you're you're immediately repulsed by this guy he's an idiot he's like a slob but then he hits you with this wisdom i know I watched this movie with my wife and she wasn't too happy about it. But like when he pops on uh, the screen and he's videoing women, she goes, you need consent before you video someone (laughs) when they're on that quad or whatever. And he's like, hey, what's up, blondie? And then that the blonde girl goes, shut up, dick. My wife went, that's the appropriate (laughs) response. 
but like such a different time. But like, you know what it is? It's kind of like Pretty Woman. She's a hooker with a heart of gold. He's kind of like a creepy, skeezy, scummy college RA with a heart of gold. Because eventually he shows Carla Gugino's character... He shows her things about herself that she never knew. He convinces her. He says, just give me five minutes. And the next thing you know, we have, I love a montage. Come on. I love a makeover Mm -hmm. montage. And we get it. It it was everything you wanted. She ditched her old life. She threw it in the trash. She could have just donated. I was like, but okay. And then a a little bit of cultural appropriation with the haircut. But that's, hey, 90s were a different time. And so Mm -hmm. next thing you know, we have Becca and Crawl on the beach once again objectifying and creeping on some people with binoculars but hey it went both ways they're doing it together (laughs) and then you're at a bar with mud wrestling and like 20 health code violations that's right oh i forgot about the bar paulie shore's movies okay so an encino man they steal the driver's ed car okay him sean austin the girl and brendan fraser steal the driver's ed car during driver's ed which is at school, which has to be between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. They drive it to a bar, which is completely jumping, like packed to the walls, jumping on a weekday at 3 p.m. This same one, the time frame is a little bit different, but still, she's in college. She's a freshman. She's at, at like 17, 18. He says he's been in college for like five years, so he's like 21, and yet they just Somehow, Pauly Shore has this magical ability to get people into bars in movies. Do you remember MTV at that time? Like, there was always the mansion. There was always the beach house party that was always hopping in the background of... Uh, yeah. Total, it wasn't even Total Request Live. Like, I don't even know. I forget what it was called back It was always popping. There was always, you know, girls and guys playing chicken or whatever it's called when you balance on each other's shoulders and throw each other into the water. Yeah. So they go to this bar, and that's when it's kind of like Becca turns the table on crawl and she sets him up to be just annihilated by this big lady mud wrestler and then it's sort of like okay she's fully out of her shell and then this is another tender moment when everybody's gonna go home for thanksgiving break and becca sees that crawl has nowhere to go he says i'm just gonna stay here i've got a hungry man dinner steven tyler pjs steven tyler pjs hey becca Steven Tyler PJs. Steven Tyler PJs. Rebecca, are you listening? I don't get that Steven Tyler PJ joke. What is that? I think I think just because they were leopard skin and Aerosmith, and I don't. I, you might be overthinking it. Okay. Was Steven Tyler a pilgrim? No, Am I? Is Steven that overthinking? Tyler. Yeah, that was overthinking. <laughs> Unless there was like a, Pur- a Puritan or a pilgrim named Steven Tyler that we don't know about. I mean, there were a lot of them, so it's possible. But anyway, Rebecca feels bad for him. She invites him to go back to the farm. And that's where we get the crux of the movie. We're at the airport. And initially, I was like, could she have chosen a more out there outfit to like shock her family with? What the hell is she wearing? But then, you know... It's perfect. It's hilarious. Crawl gets off the plane, and guess what he's doing? Creeping with the camera. That's a good impression. (laughs) At first, they don't even recognize her, and then she comes up. She's like, hey, it's me. Check out my weasel wear. (laughs) And then from there, it's just like, just shit hits the fan for Thanksgiving break. (laughs) 
<laughs> I do want to point out, though, like, he's everywhere with this camera. But isn't that kind of forethinking? Because isn't everybody now everywhere with their cameras? Like, everybody's filming everything and every interaction and every reuniting, you know, with the you family. Mean, so now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. It really is apparent to me when he when they first get off of the truck and he has the dad, Walter, hold the, he's like, hold the camera. And he's like, middle America. And he starts, you know, swimming on the ground. I was like, this is totally an Instagram moment. Like he he, he would put this on Instagram. <laughs> That's absolutely a brilliant realization. That was basically planking, right? Before like planking was a thing on Instagram, yeah. TikTok, Snapchat. Like I never thought of it that way that he was the I mean the only difference was that instead of a cell phone camera he just had like a 90s video camera never thought of mm-hmm. that but that's Wild. that's a brilliant observation wow we do that so his family is treating it as like oh this is just her friend okay but then what propels the movie what the catalyst that sends it into overdrive is Travis who let's say like so let's say November she's at home he still wears his letterman's jacket five months out of high school he <laughs> The guy still wears his Letterman's jacket. Some trivia on Travis's: his original name was Chad. Oh, that in oh. the script, and they changed it to Travis. He looks like a Chad. It works. That guy, I can't think of anything else that guy has been in except the Say by the Bell Hawaii special, no, which you, you, Tiffany Amber Thiessen was also in. You don't, you don't recognize um, him. What else was he from? Oh, 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 hold on to your butts. That All right. is the hunky guy himself from Teen Witch, the heartthrob Brad. Uh, I I cannot say I'm as familiar with Teen Witch as you are, Rudy. All, all your listeners are, trust me. You're welcome, everyone. All right. <laughs> so, Rudy, go on. You were saying that, that his plan was to... Was to propose to Becca and marry her. And she completely panics and almost passes out, runs away to Crawl, who, let's while this is happening, he is showing... He's get the big character turn is is that he's not an idiot, he's actually a hacker. I rewound this scene like five or six times to try and figure out what the hell he's saying. His tech lingo. Did you guys, are you guys familiar with what he said? I just remember toasted your PRAM and something like that. Yeah. <laughs> your P, your PC got harsh, harsh. right? He's like, and I reglazed your subroutine. It got him in with the family because the little brother hated him from the start, hated the fact that they had to share a room. Then he saw that the little brother was having trouble trying to like, I don't remember it was like a video game, right? Or something, or was he trying to download porn or something? But anyway, crawl goes over, toasts his subroutine, gets him into the computer. And he's like, wow, like, thanks for helping me out. And then you get this weird backstory about, crawl he's like i think he says like is this the one where he says like my mom was a showgirl in vegas didn't yeah. have a lot of friends so i just crushed away on the keyboard <laughs> solo mission Ta-da! it's gone how'd you do it your pc got harshed right because your system heap set the wrong parameter so I toasted the data directory, tweaked the PRAM, and reglazed your subroutine. How'd someone like you get into computers? Grew up at Caesar's Palace, right? Vegas, you know, gambling, cones, the whole package, right? Didn't have any friends. So I just pounded away on the old keyboard for a couple of years. Solo mission. So he's a self-taught computer genius in 1993, like before YouTube. Like he taught himself how to hack. 
That's amazing. God love these people in middle America because it seems like they're very nice people and they're throwing banquets and, you know, communal dinners and then they're getting down at the barn and uh, Polly Shore walks in with jorts, I guess, maybe. I don't know what the outfit is, but he's super proud of it. And I, I feel like uh, he should have known. <laughs> <laughs> Was this the one where he, before they went, he made up the mother? So this is where he's going to make up the lie. You're you're too late. I, I asked Becca to marry me. And then Travis gets very upset and walks out. And Polly Shore's second lie is, no, Travis, don't worry. She didn't cheat on you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he gets punched. Oh. Oh. I don't think we can have too much of that clip in this episode. So that's when he gets punched. And then from there, we go back to the farm and they've got to play this whole thing. They've got to keep up appearances that they are engaged to be married. Yeah. And that when they're back at the farm and mom and daughter are talking or mom and dad or whoever, it's revealed that Becca's 19. And later you find out that Crawl's been in college for like six years. So what's that put him at? Like 25? And so as a parent, I'd be like, yeah, I have concerns. And in a way... Chad or Travis is justified punching him <laughs> in the face. Like, oh, completely. There's nothing about Travis, that scene that does not that does not favor the the rationale of Travis. Completely. Travis is cheating on her, though. Well, is that she's at college? Is that established right was away? That before, was that before that? I, I think like the first hint is she's trying to call home, and he's like. I'll be there in a second. He's getting all dressed up to go out. Like, I'm pretty sure he was going out on a date at that point. Oh, I didn't. And then, and then Tracy is all over him all the time. I didn't even think that was implied. And then it went to like explicit, like toward the end of the movie when he sets them both up. I didn't catch that. But even still, like, I mean, it's not like two wrongs make a right, but like you can understand Travis's motivations knowing <laughs> that he just got embarrassed in front of the entire, I don't know, state of Iowa or whoever was there and then found out that this is the dude that she brought home for Thanksgiving and is now going to marry. Like, I don't disagree with his punch. Well, all things considered, he didn't knock out Polly Shore, so it was a pretty light punch, I think. <laughs> and again, all it serves to do is kind of like give you sympathy for Crawl. True. Yeah. True. And it, and it builds up a to that humanity moment. Yeah. And, and, and you start to like, like, even though it, right after he announces he's married, he goes right to the dad and like, we need to start talking about the bachelor party. The next few scenes. <laughs> redeem him they, they they show that redeeming quality where it's the, a good old-fashioned chore montage and he's like i want to help out on the farm what is this like oh that was the best i know it's like day two let's not forget theo the ranch hand who we learn later is scummy and double crossing this is my favorite line from the movie when theo is teaching crawl how to do all the chores and he's teaching him i think like how to drive the thresher or one of the tractors or something like that he's like and then you pull this lever here and then you push the block Blacken. He's talking about one of the buttons. He pushed the blacken, and Polly Shore just goes, "Oh, the blacken!" Like, like just completely, so subtly mocking him. And it's just one of those throwaway lines that had me rolling. Like, "Oh, the blacken!" It was almost like a like a Sasha Baron Cohen moment. 
Yeah, and then like, isn't that when he like ends up eventually at the end of the chore montage? Polly Shore masters the art of a tractor. He so much so that he can engrave the word "crawl" in a cornfield in cursive, which is then spotted by a crop duster. Yes, that that is the prodigy that is Polly Shore in this movie. It's- Cut some corn. Cut some corn. <laughs> So that montage is actually what the critics hated the most because they said it was like, guess who's coming to dinner, but with a destructive guest. And so they didn't like the fact that Polly Shore was breaking fences and everything like that. But I feel like Polly Shore gets his comeuppance because he goes for lunch and sits down and he's like, I think I'm getting the hang of this. <laughs> and the dad is like, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but to that that thing, he's like, that's a $100,000 machine. And I heard that the first time I was like, what? Like, as a little kid, comparing it to, like, my dad's riding lawnmower, I was like, $100,000? Back to the destructive gimmick in the montage, like, again, that's that's kind of where it flips the convention on its head, because even while he's doing all this stuff, number one, you're laughing. Again, it's all still endearing. Like, he's trying. Like, he, there's never a scene where he's just, like, slacking off, and then he gets run over by a bull or a pig or whatever. Like, he's trying. Like, he's trying to feed the pigs, and then the pigs stampede him. And, and not, not so much to, like, impress Rebecca's family, but, like, that's just his character. He's, like, open to it. He's like, I'm, you know, I'm here. I'll give it my sh- best shot. And that's, like, well, not to only me, that's, that's endearing. Not only that, but he has some great insight throughout this movie when they're all out fishing and he makes the father realize that how he's being treated by his father, he's taking it out on his son. I think one of the most real moments in this whole movie, and it's very small, and I don't know if it's supposed to be played comically or not, but at the lunch, the little brother, Squishy Cheeks, Zach. Squishy Cheeks offers to help out Polly Short, which is like a an eye-opening moment to Walter, and then they go out to the cow, and Squishy Cheeks makes an inappropriate comment about his sister's boobs and Polly Shore just he drops everything it's probably like the only time he's not the weasel in the movie and he just goes don't talk about your sister like that and it's just such a good character choice I think on that front where he is that's the most protective he is over anybody in the movie and it comes just straightforward and glaringly and I I, I love that moment even though the little squishy cheeks did talk about feeling up his sister's boobs <laughs> Walter right is the father's name gets on squishy cheeks's case for playing a game boy at the dinner table he's like i don't understand those computer games that you youngins are playing basically that then when they're fishing uh walter goes to cast his line and the grandfather is this is it gramps or pappy what do they call him pappy right no they call him gramps 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 he's like hey junior that's not how you throw a fishing line and the the dad says i'll do it the like to it i'll do it the way i like to do it and that's basically the set of dialogue and then the, the grandpa just loses his shit he's like yeah fine and then he walks to the other side of the pond so that argument was a little bit overblown i think i think there could have been a little bit more setup there i think there could have been a little bit more tension built up but then that's kind of the point where you realize and like you said spro that there are parallels between the way the grandpa treats his son and the way the father treats his son that there are parallels that only crawl sees yeah yeah like well first i want to just go back to zach talking about squeezing his sister's cones um this of course you do of course you do this is a very sex positive family 
can we i mean i mean they're always checking out each other's boners they're talking about getting some the night before and the night when uh, they come back from the hoedown or whatever that is you white people call it they gramps (laughs) wants to talk to walter he's like come here i want to talk to you and walter's like no dad no i'm gonna go upstairs and 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 so (laughs) and so like he's trying to connect with his son just like walter's trying to connect with zach and the only one who picks up on it is crawl crawl sits down next to gramps and says can i whittle with you the grandpa saw it coming he's like oh that my 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 son went inside with his wife it's just me out here and then crawl creeps up the stairs and he just i think he just goes oh shit (laughs) he is the the moral compass the impetus he's the he is the family therapist who's calling everyone out on their shit and and making them realize their shortcomings and that they're not all very different. Rudy, go back to the part where the family notices each other's boners for me. Well, she uh they're at the they're at the thing with the people the the country in the barn and they're dancing and uh Oh, you mean the hoedown? Yeah, the, yeah. the hoedown. Oh, cool. The hoedown. And he goes, "Look at your what, what did he say? He said, "Look at your dad's boner." Like and then yeah, yeah, check out check the, out the wood yeah. I created for your dad. Yeah, check out and then like he told her mom that he she was giving him a semi oh. oh my god i'm sorry hey god i thought you were becca well i'm not so if you don't mind oh i don't want to be rude or anything but miss warner you're giving me a semi well thank you very much but wait, really wait can i ask you a question i suppose why don't you um put a little makeup on i mean look how you're, you're a beautiful lady i mean look at this enhance your outer beauty with your inner beauty. What for? You act like you're 60 or something. Where I come from, nugs stay active till they're senile, man. You are right, Mom. Look at you. You're like a peach on a windowsill. Look at that. Look at the package. You are nasty. Nasty? Ow. Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Paul. Oh, don't, I don't believe you. Look at uh, this. No, no, Ooh. absolutely. Come on, look at you. You're getting I excited. Really I can see it. It's ridiculous. You're getting excited. You thank, you, thank you very much. And then mom and Becca talked, Becca asked mom about getting some the night before the morning after. And then dad's pinching her butt and talking about like wearing him out or something right before the fishing trip. Like they're a multi-generational sex positive family. Uh, Old farmhouse has no sound insulation. Like everybody's hearing them that night. I don't, we haven't even talked about Kelly Kapowski in this movie. I know like I crush on like the actresses of movies, but this Tracy in this movie is just perfection, I think, at its finest. But she also plays it so heartbreakingly, like real, like when she is, when she wakes up in the barn and she got drugged. So fast forward to the end, but like they, Crawl finally gets his bachelor party. It's thrown by Chad Travis and... At the bachelor party, Chad Travis drugs his drink with probably sleeping pills, and they also drug Tracy's drink, and then they, him and Theo throw them in a barn and make it look like they slept together and planned it out so that Becca is going to find them and discover the tryst. Really, everybody's going into some Shakespearean lie because they're not even married. It shouldn't matter in the long run, but this breaks up everything. So everybody kind of goes their own way and has their own arguments, and Tracy is left alone to get into the car and she feels like who knows what happened was she you know sexually assaulted what 
whatever. It's all written on her face. She's got, you know, wet cheeks and she gets into her car and the seat's all the way back. So she's got to pull it forward. And Chad Travis comes over and just with his letterman jacket on leans into the door and pretty much just calls her a whore. You know, just taking that dagger and just twisting it. And so then she's left alone to like drive off into the night or into the morning dewy air. And she discovers the sleeping pill bottle because these are just wonderful criminals and they really cover up their their trail. And then she drives back and the whole thing is uprooted at Thanksgiving dinner, which another thing I know I'm ranting here, but this is probably one of the top five best Thanksgiving movies of all time. Are there four other things? Thanksgiving movies that you can put on that yes. list? There's I mean, Pieces of April with Katie Holmes and Home for the Holidays with Holly Hunter are like the only other two that really come so to that's, mind. That's three. You said top five. Yeah. Rudy, what else you got? <laughs> Pocahontas? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I did watch Dances with Wolves on one Thanksgiving and it felt appropriate. I don't think it's a Thanksgiving movie because you watch it on Thanksgiving. So the reveal at the end of Son-in-Law is quite genius. The 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 treachery is revealed. Kyle Chad Travis is discovered to be, you know, a no-good Nick in this movie. He's called out by Tracy Kelly Kapowski, who realizes that there was the bottle of sleeping pills in her car and that her seat was pushed all the way back so that someone big must have been driving it, further implicating Theo, the farmhand, and then it's shown that he and Kyle Chad Travis are in league. And then basically they get tossed out of the family dinner, tossed out of the house. Does Crawl punch Kyle Chad Travis? He does, doesn't he? Like for retribution? Well, he, he hits him three times because he said he took two years of karate or two semesters oh, of karate. karate in- two semesters. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So then they get thrown out and then it's just... Becca's family and crawl at the dinner and then they come up with the line look we decided that we think it would be best to wait to get married so we're going to take it slow we're going to move forward and we're going to see what happens and right there like all the family's like oh perfect that's great that's perfect we think that is the best idea ever so right there crawl has against all odds endeared himself to this family to the point where they want to see their daughter end up with him down the road after they've dated for a long time. And I know we just did the Karate Kid episode and we talked about Cobra Kai being a great Netflix show. I'm just going to throw this out there. Polly Shore on a far- as a farmer as a Netflix show. You know, the next phase of the PSCU would be would be that. Bring in everybody back. Yeah. Bring Brendan Fraser back. As the ranch That dude needs to come back. Yeah. Andy Dick. He needs to show up <laughs> as just his at his Andy Dickiness. <laughs> Wait, Andy Dick was in Son-in-Law? He's in, in the Army now. He was in the Army now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, oh, you're talking about the Expanded Universe. Yeah, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. So, like, Lori Petty, Sean Austin can come back. <laughs> Tony can come back. All these people the, need to come back. This is money. Well, Lori Petty was on uh, Orange is the New Black. I know that. But Robin Tunney, I don't know where she's at. They're, I heard they're rebooting The Craft, and so that she's going to be a part of that, or remaking or making a sequel or something. Or maybe it was the other one. Who was the other one from Waterboy with the face? Oh, gosh. With the face? With the face. No, the one who turned evil in The Craft, like the evil witch. Oh, yeah. that Feruza Ball. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, heard she, I think she's the one that's going to be part of it. But we digress. Son-in-law, I think, again, for me, is <gasps> what? I guess because, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now for son-in-law. One, 
everybody out in the Second Chance Cinema universe knows. Um, the director, Steve Rash, he directed films such as Can't Buy Me Love, Bring It On, All or Nothing, Bring It On, In It to Win It. So that's on his Wikipedia, that's what it said he was known for. I don't know who wrote that, but I included Son-in-Law. So you're welcome. Wikipedia has been changed because of this episode. Also, what I just realized looking at the Wikipedia of Son-in-Law, and I thought it so, but in the Halloween party, they have the cameo of Brendan Fraser. There is another actor in the, in the Halloween hallway yeah. Either of you know? Uh, it's the guy that was culturally appropriating Native Americans. <laughs> and that's that he's listed as the Indian, yeah. quote unquote, on Wikipedia. But do you know who that actor is? Uh, no, no, I've seen him before. Adam Goldberg Who's from that? such films as like Dazed and Confused. He was the one that was like in the back seat leaning forward and he's like, huh, I just want to dance. So you're not going to go to law school? What do you want to do then? I want to dance. Just my favorite line from that. Uh, he is the creator and showrunner for Breaking In, Imaginary Mary Schooled the Go the Goldbergs. Oh, he's in Saving but Private he Ryan. Was, he's in Saving Private Ryan. He's the guy that gets stabbed slowly with the knife. Yeah. What? Where, that's like the worst kill I think in that movie. Like I, every time I watch that movie, I'm like, no, 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 don't, 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 and then he dies because I mean that's what he's doing. On July 22nd, 2020, Adam Goldberg, along with Uncle Louie, launched Challenge Coins with the Garbage Pail Kids that sold out in mere minutes. These coins honored famous Garbage Pail Kids such as Nasty Nick, Weird Wendy, and Rap and Ruth, and were licensed by Tops. So, I don't uh, what the fuck is a it. Challenge Pail? I, I, I'm on the Wikipedia page, too, and I saw Garbage Pail Kids, and the first thing I thought was, oh my god, was he in that movie? Yeah, Challenge Coins are something that associate with, like, drinking, I believe. Like, they have them for the military. Oh, really? Yeah, they have Challenge coins for the military like uh, whatever particular branch you serve in his cameo in the hallway if anybody's listening and they want to talk or they want to see adam goldberg he's the one that is walking next to her as she's carrying her laundry basket and he's like i get it i get it i get it you're a hitman laundry person doing their laundry or something like that it's a really throwaway dumb joke but i was like is that adam goldberg he's my favorite one in dazed and confused he, one of the kids that are not invited really to to the big soiree at the end of the year. He was also in A Beautiful Mind as one of the professors. He's he's a legit actor. This was the first audible gasp, I think, <laughs> on Second Chance Cinema. <laughs> Caught me completely off guard. I was like, oh my gosh. That made me happy that you were pleasantly surprised. The height of Pauly Shore to now the Pauly Shore renaissance. Y'all. Are we ready for it? Y'all, we did the Lord's work tonight, okay? <laughs> Did you get everything out that you wanted to? <laughs> yeah, I think I did. <laughs> uh, were there any specific notes that you thought were stingers for tonight? Did you just write down like hoedowns equal white people? Was that your main note? I, did, I said a lot of white people stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we sign off, so if anyone notices anything a little different about my voice tonight, it's because for whatever reason, um, about a week and a half ago, I received a package in the mail, not suspicious, but uh, definitely unexpected. And I opened it up and inside was a brand new 
entirely unnecessary but so appreciated gift of a new podcast mic. And I had no clue who it was from, and I still don't. The only thing that was inside, along with the mic, was a note that I have right here in front of me that says, To Backstreet, which has been my nickname for a long time. I hope Ohio is treating you well. Keep going. A secret appreciator. So I dug deep for clues for about a day only because, you know, I needed to satisfy my own curiosity. Actually found a phone number on the package, called it up at like nine o'clock. Turned out to be a a New York boys prep school. So I got the answering service. So that might, I don't know if they, you know, go through call records, they might find that weird. But I swear there was, you know, it was just me trying to find out clues. So my point is, uh, I've given up trying to trying to figure it out. And I just want to say that I would imagine that whoever sent it is listening. And I just wanted to say thank you because that completely made my day in such an unexpected way on a day when things were not the best. And I hope that it brings you joy and satisfaction to know how much that meant to me. And I don't know who you are. And at this point, I kind of hope I never find out. I, f- I find the story cool. I-, I don't want to joke about it. But when you said it was like, one, it sounds suspicious to me. You're like, it's not suspicious. It's from a boy's school. And then no, no, because of what Rudy... What Rudy- it- Oh. It wasn't from a boys' school. It was from an address in Queens, but there was a phone number, like it was on a UPS slip. So it's like, if this gets lost in the mail, call this number. They have information about where it's supposed to go. That was my only lead. So I called the number and they were like, hello, thank you for calling St. John's Preparatory School for Boys. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I just like the fact that maybe maybe St. John's School for Boys or whatever it was, was the, uh, maybe they take their kids to go yeah, see Holly Shore movies. I was about to maybe. Say, you were shitting on. <laughs> On my youth experience and you're calling boys prep schools in the middle of the night come on it was nine o'clock it was early evening at best <laughs> it was nine o'clock i had a blast discussing son-in-law with you both of you gentlemen i think we can agree that this is a a must watch for anyone listening to this episode and if you've seen it already a must rewatch. don't go into it with the lofty expectations of dissecting it in the ways of guess who's coming to dinner pretty woman um i forget the other one that we came up with that was that was the glass like really, menagerie you know the glass menagerie <laughs> yeah don't go in it with with necessarily those expectations just be aware that there's a lot more underneath the surface of Polly Shore as Crawl in Son-in-Law. And I just want to throw out, you know, in the off chance that Polly Shore listens to this episode, I just want to say welcome back. I second that completely. And you know what? I'm not even bitter that I didn't get my autograph. Maybe one day. So for myself, MC, Spro, Rudy, this has been another episode of Second Chance Cinema. Listen up to how you can follow us on social media, recommend movies, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't. And um, again, we just hope you keep listening. Thanks very much. Green Acres is the place to be. Farm living is the life for me. Land spreading out so far and wide. Manhattan, just give me that countryside. Son-in-Law was produced by Hollywood Pictures and distributed by Buena Vista Pictures. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is the Green Acres theme song, obviously. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2 Cinema. 
To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on, and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person you. And because good things should always come in threes... every time enjoy your day coming up next on tv land it's green acres the classic rural sitcom with a little something for everyone whether you're a connoisseur of self-reflexive humor or just think it's funny when people say hooterville this has been a film waste presentation darling mm, mischief <laughs> oh, look at this thing it's like a big video game Music. John Denver. Hmm. Where can I stick this?